It's Miguel's job to get his balls busted. Welcome to another episode of Comical Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Corbett. With me is Horse Legs Miguel Garza. <laughs> not funny. <laughs> <laughs> and my beautiful wife, Heather. What's up? And last but definitely not least, our guest of the week, Steve Orlando. Hey, what's going on? So this week, we are not prepared at all. <laughs> our comic books got here late because of uh, some bad weather in Houston. A little rain. So we didn't have a chance to read everything. We didn't have a chance to pick our books of the week and talk about what we really liked. So instead, we're going to focus on some other back issues that we've read recently and uh, tell you a little bit about some of our favorite ones we picked up. So the first one I want to touch on is a book called Zero by Alish Cott. And uh, have you read that book, Steve? I have read it, yep. It's a really fascinating book about spies and assassinations, and it just sort of jumps all over the place like I'm doing. I'm a little under the weather, too, so it's not helping much. I like the beginning of the book, the battles and fighting and robots and all kinds of crazy-looking stuff. Uh, the spy <laughs> stuff really was intriguing to me, the the whole story that was going and how they had gangsters and everything else. I was, I'm a fan of it. I enjoyed it. The whole thing at the end of the book was kind of like, whoa, okay. It starts, <laughs> out, it starts out telling the story of a young boy who is being initiated into this Assassin's League. That's really the best way to put it, I guess. And he has a, he's befriended this girl in the club, and the powers that be are trying to keep them separate, but... Yeah, there's equal. no loving there. There's no love in the no Assassin's love. group. <laughs> so you see him grow up and, you know, do his first kill. And getting the crap beat out of him, too. Yeah, you see him take, take some beatings, and eventually you see him come to the point where he's a full-blown adult and a full-blown assassin. And as he's an adult, he encounters his female friend from childhood again, and some crazy stuff happens. What, just an arm? <laughs> yeah. Just an arm. Yeah, the arm part was pretty crazy. That was like, wow, no. That was, the arm was very abrupt. I have to say that was like a book dropping moment when that happened. Yeah, I mean, he goes through that portal and he's just got an arm. I'm like, what just happened here? I flip the page back again. Like, what, am I missing something? <laughs> Holy crap! We don't want to completely spoil it off for all you people out there, but you should definitely pick it up. No, you could just start it. It should be on Twitter hashtag the arm, and we can you can just <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's really good. You got like how he's so calm too, though. He's kind of like you know, nothing disturbs him. He's like, you know, because they train him to be that way too, right? So that, I mean, I think it's a really, I think it's a really interesting book. He, he he always talks about how it's basically James Bond for the, it's a present day James Bond, which is kind of interesting because knowing that that's his mindset, they've taken Bond that way anyway. I mean, you look at like goofy pun making Sean Connery James Bond in the sixties, and like the coldly calculating oddly robotic Daniel Craig Bond, and this, it just seems to be an extrapolation of that. Yeah, you can definitely see a, a parallel there. But I think, you know, it's a James Bond for a world where our lives are tuned into a 24-hour news cycle, you know, so like it's a little dirtier, it's a little rougher and meaner, and things don't tie up in the same way, but that's also because, you know, we're not in the 60s anymore, it's not really a romantic era, we're in the, like, the pictures of bodies coming back from explosions era. On CNN.com, well, not CNN because no one watches that. Uh, on, uh, <laughs> this is CNN. On the internet.com, sure, wherever you find it. Like the the romanticism of spies and sort of war games has been taken away, and so like I think that you see that a lot in that book. If you if you're doing a spy book today, it has to be nastier, for lack of a better term. It's, in a lot of ways, it kind of reminds me of uh, that the old Warren Ellis book, Global Frequency. 
okay. which had some really nasty spy action in it as well. Yes, it sure did. One of the coolest things about Zero is that every single issue has a different artist, and it really creates a different feel for the book. Every chapter is a different piece of the main character's life. I didn't know that. Yeah, you didn't realize it was a different artist? No, I didn't know that at all. Wow, it just blew my mind. <laughs> Man, I suck. Knowing is, half, knowing is half the battle, so... Right. Oh, yeah, G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe! <laughs> you know, I drop that reference in real life all the time, and so few people understand. So do I. We get it. <laughs> we get it. <laughs> Actually, there's been many days at work where we'll be sitting around and we'll start singing a theme song out of complete boredom. <laughs> no, I, I listen, I, I, I last night I was reminiscing about... Uh, a show that probably no one except me and three other people in 1994 watched, which was called King Arthur and the Knights of Justice. I watched and, that show. Wow. Let me tell you something. <laughs> I, I thought that was something I dreamed up because there's so little so little about it online, but it is real. And now I really want to bring it back because that, that, that was cool as shit when you were seven. There was uh, uh, there was a comic series, too. It was really short-lived. Oh, my God. that I, I, It's just so shocking to me because... I, I, I was so into it with football players and them turning into badass knights and then now like so few people I'm so excited you guys remember it was that and the Defenders of Dinatron City which I also imagined was something maybe I thought up in my head because no one had heard of it but it's also real um, I'm not familiar with that one but well the lead character has a rocket for a head and can fire it off his shoulders so that's pretty much all I need to know that sounds awesome that, yeah that's, <laughs> I don't think I saw that what, what year was this? well if I barely remember it it must be in the 90s I can internet it while we talk about things you wanted to talk about, but it's a real show. Uh, and also, one of the other characters is a, is a woman whose legs consist of uh, a razor blade that she, like, rides around on, kind of like kind of like a Transformer. It was a weird show, but it's real. Uh, let's find out. Here is Defender of Dynatron City. That came out in 1992. Nice. Huh, I don't and, know that one. Uh, evidently, it was mostly a video game. Whoa, this is, has a lot of... The, the main character was voiced by Whoopi Goldberg. She can shoot electric <laughs> bolts. That's she can awesome. shoot electric bolts. Uh, and the TV show had the voices, oh my god, of Tim Curry, Whoopi Goldberg, and Christopher Walken. There was only a pilot. <laughs> so you saw the pilot, and that was the only one you watched, and you remember the title all this time later? <laughs> That's yes, dude, that happens. Listen, when I was much even younger than that, I used to go to Video King and repeatedly, repeatedly rent out the well-animated but poorly voice-acted Pride of the X-Men, which was the pilot for the X-Men show that didn't happen in the 80s with an Australian Wolverine. <laughs> and, uh, oh, it's like the gorgeous animation. Um, but anyway, I was like I was like four, so I kept waiting for the next episode. Little did I know it was a pilot. I just kept watching the same damn thing because I was four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that definitely happens when you're a kid. You don't even realize what's going on. Yeah, the, but that was a great, like, the animation was so much better than the 92 show, but everything else was so much worse, and it had Dazzler in it. Dazzler was big in the 80s. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, well, it was the cast from the the arcade game, and the arcade game ended up being much better in many ways. I remember the arcade game. I played a lot of that. Yeah, so you probably didn't even know there's a, there's a movie, and it... It, it's 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 got some heavily ethnic voice acting that doesn't necessarily match the uh, ethnicities of the characters because again, like Wolverine is mysteriously Australian and goes around calling everybody dingoes. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna have to try to find that. That sounds pretty yeah. awesome. Yeah, which having met Australian people, they don't actually refer to people that way, but uh, maybe in the '80s, who knows? <laughs> so that was a tangent about Zero. It's got it's got an arm in it. Hashtag the arm. <laughs> It's got a lot of things in it. It's got some really intense kill scenes, some pretty uh, well-drawn fight scenes, 
hand-to-hand combat, to be more specific. And then it's got a really wacky, unexpected ending in the fifth book. It's actually a really good time for our listeners to go and pick it up, because the trade paperback came out two weeks ago, and it's only nine ninety nine for the first five issues in the trade. So Pick it up? Pick it up, yeah. I'd, I'd recommend it. <laughs> Is that a good price point for a trade? Maybe I should make the Undertow trade nine ninety nine. I think it's a really good price point for the first trade. Most most first trades come out at about nine ninety nine or twelve ninety nine, and then jump up to fourteen ninety nine or seventeen ninety nine, depending. They go up in price. Yeah, the second the second one goes up because you want people to get in and read the first one, give it a chance because it's cheaper. Then we got you. And then once you got them, raise the price a little bit. <laughs> Is that a real thing? Wow, That's a real thing. We know. I didn't know that at all. You see, you see how out of touch I am. The last time I did trade paperback, it was 88 pages for $3, and it was on newsprint like you would find in the 20s, and I was very excited about it. Yeah, I have a bunch of those, too. Actually, I have a big pile of them sitting right next to Miguel. <laughs> yeah, he does. He can't help himself, either. I swear to you, he's buying, like, books left and right. <laughs> I have to admit, I'm actually, I'm so sentimental about my books, despite living three hours away from it, I still have my home comic store from Syracuse ship me my books out of like, you know, my heart is three sizes too big. I'm like a reverse Grinch. That's a good problem to have. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, when I lived out of the country in Russia, they held my books for like eight months. So after that, I feel like it deserves some loyalty. Usually you have to pick up your long box like once a month. Uh, But but anyway, that's my side story. Um, (laughs) If I go longer than a week, I feel completely overwhelmed. I know, and I only get them once a month. So imagine it's like it's like a small nerd Christmas. Like I just put things down and don't move. I open the box; it smells of plastic and, and like the Postmaster General, and I just get very excited because I, I get just this huge box every month with the things that I subscribe to versus every week because it's really not cost effective to drive a six hour round trip to get uh, whatever I get every week. So we had to change up that format. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so we've clearly gone way off the reservation again. Welcome to doing a podcast with me. I'll talk about. <laughs> damn thing we that's okay care. as long as it's funny we don't care honestly <laughs> yeah. yeah little did like people somewhere someone is like girding their ip loins as i talk about things that haven't really been mentioned since 1992 the guy that created defenders of dinatron city is like sucking on a capri sun and getting very excited <laughs> yeah. i just watched a clip of dinatron city on youtube while you were saying that and i was like totally amazed it's awesome and and you loved it, right? No, Absolutely. it's ridiculous. You saw the woman, you saw the guy, I'm looking at the art right now, and it was from Lucasfilm Games. It was from LucasArts. Jeez. So they have, <laughs> yeah. If you saw the video, you know that not only is there a guy with a damn rocket for a head, because I'm certainly looking at it right now. Yes, I saw um, There's There's the Saw woman, and what I forgot is there is some poor bastard who has a damn hammer for a head as well. Yes, <laughs> yes I saw that as well. That's awesome. That is freaking cool. I'm going to have to look this up. Yeah, we'll have to find this up. Oh, the... Yeah, meanwhile, Dynamite Comics is like, give me the, give me the license. <laughs> <laughs> as long as you get to write it, right? <laughs> I... Yeah, well, I would have to get to hop in my TARDIS to remember how this story made me feel, uh, besides the fact that I remember. But listen, if it's a bad cartoon in the 90s, I'm sure I watched it. I was regularly late to school uh, to watch Mummies Alive. <laughs> I watched that too. Oh, dear God. There's... And I don't even know if that was the same. Mummies Alive might have been the same show that also had some dude with, like, spider arms, but that, that might have been a that might have been Skeleton Warriors, which sounds like the same show, but is not the same show. <laughs> I don't even... God help me. I, I regularly reminisce about Street Sharks with, like... The street Sharks, re- yes! <laughs> <laughs> Right? Okay, now it's five people that remember that show. So. <laughs> I love Street Sharks. <laughs> right, yeah, there's like a Yahoo group for that, if Yahoo groups still existed, but they don't. <laughs> it's a flashback yeah, episode. It was weird. 
it was a weird time. It was a weird time. Another, but yeah. So there's there's a whole other show where we talk about '90s cartoons. I suppose it. I was recently shocked to find out that Power Rangers has been on for over 20 years, seemingly lo- longer lasting than almost anything else in my life. And even more shocking that my parents still have every single Power Rangers toy I received as a child in my house, now worth enough for me to buy a real house. Wow. Wow, that's impressive. That's crazy. Yeah, I got. Except, of course, now I do not know what any of them are. With the exception of Dragon Zord, obviously, because Green Ranger, clearly the best. Yes. Yes. The White Ranger. <laughs> we all watched I'm the first season of Power Rangers. I don't know if we kept up with it as it went on, but I, I definitely watched the yes. full first season. Tommy. Let's not embarrass myself too much, uh, <laughs> but I, I made it until they just completely sold out with Power Rangers Turbo and they had cars. Come on now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because Car Voltron was also lame, folks. So I did check out after that. But yes, I made it through the really bad movie. And then whatever season it was where they had the Gold Ranger that was actually black in color. And even as a child, I was a little confused. <laughs> but it's because they brought Jason back. So th- there you have it. Uh, that's, when, that, that's when I backed out. But as I said... I would give away any of my Power Rangers toys to younger cousins who are excited about Power Rangers like Super Ninja Star Force with extra axes or whatever the current season is called. But, yeah, the names uh, got more and more uh, ridiculous as it went on. <laughs> yes, and, and, and now the only thing that's very exciting to me, and the, and the weird thing about Power Rangers as well is that many of my friends are normal and do not read comics. Um, however, you'd be like hanging out at their house and they'd be like growing out and watching cops. But if you tell them that there's a new season of Power Rangers in which they can now access the ranger costumes of anyone of their color for the past 20 years, which is a real thing, they get super excited. And these are grown men. Uh, <laughs> Everybody's got that, that one like, thing that makes them super nerdy. It's just how it is. But it's Power Rangers. For my, yeah, I, I've always thought, and well, now it's like The Walking Dead. Like, currently I'm living in a house on top of two brothers that only drink Pabst Blue Ribbon and, like, watch football and make hooting noises with a guitar that can only play one song and it's a, and it's a Tom Petty song. <laughs> when they found out that I write for Image Comics, they were like, The Walking Dead? Oh, and I got, I got like the man hug with three pats of I'm not gay on the back. It was it was astounding. <laughs> That's brilliant. Tom uh, Petty. Uh, I've gone way more off topic than ever before and this is like my seventh podcast. <laughs> That's okay. We don't mind at all. No. <laughs> so anyway, Walking Dead is the new. It's 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 the new cultural experience. It it brings us all together. It's like it, it's the Beatles. It's it's the it's the necrotized Beatles of 2014. Okay, let's talk about Walking Dead then, since we're on this topic. Oh my God! It, was that next on the list? No, it wasn't. I mean, I was going to continue talking about back issues, but uh, since we, I'm happy to talk about back issues. <laughs> since we got back here, I mean, we might as well continue with it. <laughs> How do you have you have you read the? Uh, are you current on the books? For Walking Dead? I will be quite honest, I am not current. I, I am as current as the reading the wiki will let me be when they introduce a new character, but I am not, I'm not as caught up as I should be, and that's the answer. Okay. Sure. Uh, however, I, I, I am following the show, so whenever there's a new character that I somehow missed, I always find out everything about them. I am a rabid reader of wiki. It, it, it sucks days, hours, weeks of my life, so... I'm not not a comic fan. I just checked out when I went to college, and now I'm legitimately like 112 issues behind. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do know a little bit of things that happened. I know a little bit about Negan, and I know, you know, things that are going on. But I, I sort of, I drop in and out. Hashtag the bat. 
<laughs> the series has been really good. I mean, I'm loving the yeah, comics. Hashtag, hashtag the arm. Uh, <laughs> the arm is the current amount that I'm invested in the series. <laughs> what I wanted to discuss <laughs> Go ahead, man. was uh, the differences between the show and the, the books and how you feel about Daryl, mostly. <laughs> um, well, I think the show is fascinating, okay? like Without getting into... Like, technical issues I may or may not have, and I, and I will answer what I think about Daryl, but I just want to say that beyond that, I think the show is fascinating. I think it's fascinating for what it's done to, like, culture. Like, nothing has helped comics more than The Walking Dead TV show in the mainstream. I don't want to say yeah. at all, but, like, if five years ago my book came out and I told people I wrote for Image Comics, they'd be like... And I mean, I have I have clients at my at my at my wine store that are like the, the the lead editors for like Variety and like Penguin Publishing and all these major publications. And I would say that I write for Image Comics, and they would say, "Well, what?" <laughs> and now, if I say like, "Oh, they're the Walking Dead people," there's not a person that doesn't know what that is. So that is just astounding. Yeah. Uh, what that's done, and beyond that. Knowing that now, like, everyone is watching it from, like, these for tobacco use only smoking bros in college to middle-aged people that, like, liked Hammer Horror when it was in the 70s, it's made drama out of things that, realistically, any show that wasn't a zombie show, these people would not care. Like, let's be honest, like, a large part of this recent season was about growing tomatoes. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, and, and people were riveted by it. Uh, it, it, it's astounding. Like so much of the show has been about things like agriculture and uh, and epidemiology and like just the regular it, everyday things in, in people's lives that we don't consider because that's really what the show is about is trying to survive and trying to resume or retain some part of the life you had before the zombie apocalypse happened. That's yeah, and, and that's what's fascinating about it to me is because it really it it creates drama in places that. Basically, if you subtracted subtracted zombies, it would be like a lifetime show, oh, and it, it's just fascinating to me because, like, even even recent things with the Real like, Housewives of Zombieville. Come on, <laughs> a lifetime, really? <laughs> uh, maybe that's a little harsh, but oh. you must admit, if it was like Georgia Cobb talks about growing beans, you wouldn't watch it. Exactly. Yeah. I'm just maybe. laughing because my wife makes me watch all kinds of lifetime movies, so it was just kind of funny you said that. Maybe. <laughs> The Craigslist killer. <laughs> yes, I've seen that. <laughs> but so about Daryl, I think Daryl's real interesting. And and um, I'm super into it, actually, because it's I, I've experienced it a lot myself when I'm creating something. And I kind of love what he stands for. You know, I love what he stands for on the creative level, because like sometimes you're doing a book or you're doing a show where you're doing something and you have this one-off character that you assume is going to like, you know, they're just like, all right, I need someone to do something. Someone's got to hold this banana. But then you get around to writing the scene, and they're just awesome. But do you and, feel uh, do you feel like the banana should have been given to Rick, or do you feel oh. like it's it's well well handled by Daryl? Um. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't saying? know. Like I I see what you're saying, but I don't think it's the type of show with the type of weighty semi realism they're pushing. Because you know it's got it's got undead people that eat brains. It's not a realistic show. But I kind of like in many ways how imperfect they've made Rick. Even more. I mean, he's not perfect in the comics. But he certainly is the leader, and um, I think that they've grounded him even more by making him sort of impre imperfect. He has made a ton of mistakes, and, you know, despite being a sheriff or whatever he is originally, a policeman of some sort, it doesn't really mean he would be a survivalist. So I don't necessarily think that it's a Daryl or Rick type of thing. I think that it's, in many ways, it, it makes it more true to life. When it comes to the things that Daryl is good at, they're not things that Rick would be good at as a guy that had like a comfy white picket fence 
middle class existence, he wouldn't know how to like hunt and kill a muskrat and right. eat it with his teeth, you know. So I, I think I think it plays out in an interesting way. The sort of the, the dynamic between them. That is to say, if there ever will be a dynamic between them uh, in the future, since uh, as of season four, they're sort of, you know, Separated. not hanging out. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think he's an interesting character. It, it, it seems kind of apparent to me, and this is total conjecture, that he wasn't supposed to hang out this long in the series, but people just kind of loved him and, and made him more part of the show. Well, I, love, I love I love Norman Reedus. I mean, I, I think he's a fantastic actor, and he was a great choice for that role. And, I mean... In some ways, I'm glad he stuck around, but at the same time, I kind of wish that that character had not been written in, or at least written in as long as he has been, because when Rick needed to step up and be the leader, needed to step up and be the one who was hardcore and took care of everything, he kind of backed off and let Daryl handle a lot of stuff in the second and third seasons. The, the, the only thing about that is, obviously, because he's not from the book, he could die at any time. I actually almost thought he was going to bite it in a really pathetic way in the most recent episode, which would have been kind of... Well, actually, again, it would have been kind of, to me, very true to why... I mean, can we talk about the most recent episode? Is that yeah, sure, absolutely. Point? If he was, like, a, a sloppy drunk and ended up getting getting eaten by zombies after getting pissed with, like, a 15-year-old girl, it would have... I don't know how old she is, actually. Let's, let's go crazy and say she's 17. It almost would have been perfect in many ways for me for what Walking Dead does because you don't expect it and it's totally mundane. It's so goddamn mundane that it would be shocking. It's kind of like when after all the build-up in Dark Knight Rises, Bane just gets shot with a shotgun. Okay, a rocket shotgun from a, from a bike, but still. Um, it's like it's surprisingly mundane, and in that respect, it's almost kind of true to life. Because in, in real life, like people don't have heroic deaths. They don't ride the bomb down at the end of uh, Dr. Strangelove, you know? And I, I would almost find that kind of poignant. It's like there was a bat, Batman black and white uh, that I think was drawn by Brian Boland in the 80s, 90s time before I was a conscious person and it was about the story where Batman finally dies and it's not like some super villain that kills him it's just like some punk kid that gets lucky and shoots him in the head I remember that story it's really good actually and yeah like I I, I would almost find that par for the course in some ways but yeah I can see that like Rick has certainly taken a backseat this season and in some ways I find it endearing like it was a, to me it was one of the first time the show had real drama when like Carl thought he was dead and he wasn't mm -hmm. uh, in a while and then they kind of ignore it like in, in the last episode I was kind of like he wasn't as scared as he should be that those redneck bikers choked a guy out in front of him like in zombie time he could be zombie any time yeah uh, and and he would be stuck under the bed there, which they see me, which I guess didn't happen. But no, I mean he he could turn around. Hey, he still has a hand. I know. Uh, well, I think that's because of uh, production costs. Because if you notice, when Herschel lost his leg, he was always standing behind something. Or I mean, they wrote it in really quickly where he got a peg leg because they didn't want to do a whole bunch of scenes with CGI making it look like he didn't have a leg. I'm sure they're doing the same thing with Rick. He could have like a little hammer hand. Uh, <laughs> but you know, I mean, so he's twice he's twice as useful as he is in the book. For the moment. Yeah, that's true. I have no problem what they've done with any other character. I just feel like Rick should be written a little more strongly. Come on, man. You cried when T-Dog died. You know he did. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you, though. Like The thing that didn't work for me was Crazy Rick. I don't remember if that was season two or season three. With the phone? Yes. <laughs> I love that. That was straight out of the comics, though. They just didn't take it quite as far as they did in the comics. Oh, my God. But Crazy Rick, it was very... I mean, I guess I could see it was a little Hitchcockian. 
And then, like, and it's also funny where the show kind of backs off. It could have gone much nastier with to the difference between what happens to Judith in the comics and what happens to Judith in the show. I can't believe she's still alive. I thought that was really disappointing. I, I was, yeah. I was kind of hoping she would be dead. I mean, that's bad to say, I guess, but, I mean, it, it's one of the things that drove Carl and Rick to become who they were in the books. It's, dis- it's disappointing, but if she had died that way, it would have been such a damn cop-out. I mean, it, it, it at least gives me hope that maybe they'll harken back to what happens in the books, which was one of, still, I think, one of the most nasty things that has happened. It might not be the goriest, but, like, I was pretty shocked when that happened. Yeah, we, we keep thinking that the girl... The young girl who's about Carl's age uh, lines up with the two girls that ended up going to the camp in the book story arc where they were going to the church. The two girls that were the serial killers. The girl that's Carl age. You mean Beth that's with Daryl? No, no. I mean the girl that almost smothered Judith. Did that happen? Where is she now? Yeah, she's with the... She's with uh, Tyrese and, and Judith oh. and her sister. And Carol. And Carol now. Oh, yeah, because Carol showed back Because Carol came back oh, somehow. Oh, my God. <laughs> that, that, that irritated me. I thought she needed to go. Carol, yeah, but people people love her because she has a short haircut and like oh. a sassy pair of pants, so they can't... Yeah, they can't miss that, I guess. Um, <laughs> no, that girl's crazy. And I just saw her in something else, too, that I watched this week. And, of course, can't remember right now. Hmm. But I was like, oh, shit, that's the girl from The Walking Dead. It might even be, like, Hannibal or something equally gory. But I, I, I have to go back and think about it. Actually, I think you're right. I think she was in a Hannibal episode. Yeah, I think, uh, I think she was. I think you're right. No, she's, she's either legitimately crazy or a great actress because she certainly has the <laughs> thousand-yard stare of someone who is just, is just bananas. Well, my take on it is I love the comics. The whole machine governor thing was like amazing to me that's another obviously, section they really toned down I obviously knew they weren't going to do that on the TV show that was just like you wouldn't be able to do it this day and age or yeah. even back in the day yeah. but, not uh, on AMC but I really enjoyed how it made everybody you know aware of what was, you know zombies and stuff I like the show this is some things that I just I can't stand like, like my boy here I don't really like how they made Rick a little wimpy here and there uh, some of the characters like uh, who aren't there who are still alive and should be dead but I get the show I, I do hate the filler episodes it kind of bothers me a little bit I'm like come on I'm all about action <laughs> I don't mind setting up the story but you're killing me <laughs> I don't know like I genuinely agree with you but I have to say the episode where we went back to um, oh I can't remember his name the guy from the first episode Morgan yeah when we went back to him I love that yeah that was actually really good but that's, well, I didn't mind that one. That's something that came straight out of the books again. Yeah, I thought that was one. I think it was called Clear. I even remember the the name of the episode. And I thought that was one of the tightest ones of episode three, or season three, excuse me. I really enjoyed it. But yeah, the filler episodes, and, and that the sort of like fragmented storytelling that they're doing at the second half of season four, we'll see how that goes. But it, it's exciting for me, because as someone who, who dropped away from the books, are finally entering territory that they don't really know what to expect. I mean, I knew it was going to happen with the governor. I don't know what's going to happen with Abraham. Ford. Well, I like who they cast. I, I love his bimulleted uh, scientist friend who is just... <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I hope that I, they keep this arc truer to the comics than they have in the past. I mean, I know Kirkman said that it was going to be the beginning of the season, so it would be nice if they stuck a little closer. The Abraham story is pretty good. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't seen a mullet like that in quite some time. <laughs> And I and that is it. That's a gem. Love will make me like the character. We don't really get those in Albany. There's plenty of like weaves that you that, that you will see, but not many mullets. And as someone from Central New York, like I'm very excited when I see things like that. <laughs> you get a lot of them down here in Texas, yeah. that's for sure. Anyway, that's a digression. <laughs> yeah, there seems to be like some sort of tunnel going from from Texas to the 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 boons of Syracuse. It, it, it it's uncanny. And these are these are some of my best friends, but. <laughs> <laughs> 
Having said that, I within the past two years, I have gone home for Thanksgiving, and they have put an aerosol spray can in a frozen turkey and blown it up in a fire. So, <laughs> yes. So a, there you go. You know, <laughs> fits in perfectly with <laughs> the people I'm imagining. <laughs> while, while listening to Jackal with a Y. Hmm. Well, let's talk a little bit about your book. I mean, we've gotten pretty far yeah. off topic and talked about well, a bunch of different images. Welcome to talking to me. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Let's, let's talk a little about Undertow. Sure. Uh, we That's know what it's about. We read it. We liked it. But our listeners probably don't know much about it yet. So why don't you go ahead and tell them the gist of it. Sure. Uh, Undertow, uh, it's a book that I, as they said, I write. And I, I work with Artyom Trahanov. He lives in Siberia, which is why he is not uh, on this podcast. And it's, it's a reverse Atlantis story. It's an Atlantis story without the Atlantis. So the one thing that we're trying to do that's different is that I, all these Atlantis stories... I've loved them, and I've always, I, I love, I mean, I'm so into, I'm into whether it's Aquaman, whether it is Namor, whether it is Roy Scheider on Sequest DSV, I've always been very excited about underwater stories. But What about, what about he- Merman from He-Man? He-Man! <laughs> I, I don't think I have to answer that. Um, <laughs> Shut down. What struck me about them is that they're all really about the humans and so that was the one thing we decided because like even these when you when you go into an Atlantis story wondering how it's really you almost expect a gotcha about how it is actually about human history and human evolution so we set out to do a book that was a not about kings and kingdoms because in any modern story you know we live in the real world uh, we had kings and kingdoms too but that was hundreds of years ago so I I was talking to Artel when we realized like why would Atlantis be any different why is it that you know Aquaman is essentially it's not a democratic society why is Namor not a democratically why isn't he the president so no no going against all these modern day worlds where they have democratic societies so we wanted to take Atlantis and make it about Atlanteans and bring it into the modern day um, which is what we did so this isn't like seahorse riding and like little spinning water balls it's like big metropolitan cities and government corruption and you know capitalism and consumerism and everything that happens to everything that was extrapolated uh into our society from back when when we were a medieval society 500 years ago or whatever you uh like to think so um it's that and when we decided that it was going to be like what would atlantis be like in the present day or I should say, it, at least in a, in a technological setting, instead of having, like, wizards and, like, weird wands and fake Power Girl origins, um, how would people react to that? And, and then that's the other connection that it's about. It's about people who, if you have this corrupt society, it's, it's really about giving Atlantis a frontier again. And so it's about characters that are exploring the surface and want to get away from Atlantis and create their own society and going along with that is a little bit of danger so uh, that's the whole idea if you're going to make Atlantis a modern society um, what could make it even more unique it's about Atlanteans exploring the surface in a watertight airship it's got crazy monsters and it's more about the idea of what a frontier means what freedom means and as you see in the first issue freedom doesn't necessarily mean safety so it's that danger, it's that excitement that you had when we were exploring the Wild West and things like that, when we didn't know what was two miles down the road. Uh, you know, people wanted to make a life there, but they really had to fight for it. And so that's uh, what we have in our book. But with lasers and giant condors and, like, crazy fish people and spacesuits full of water and all sorts of good stuff. It's a pretty accurate description of the book we read. Yeah, it was pretty good. Wow. <laughs> so, there's no merman. <laughs> there's no merman. 
there are there, there are barbarian fish people, but they 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 don't look like weird underwater foxes like he does. So um. <laughs> I have to tell you what the merman thing's about. <laughs> for four episodes ago, uh, we had our friend Will on, and he's a huge Aquaman fan. And one of the bits we did on that episode was who would win in a battle, Merman versus Aquaman. And the two of them had to debate. Miguel was doing his Merman voice, and it was hilarious. And Will was poorly trying to defend Aquaman. <laughs> in the end, we decided Aquaman would definitely win, since he has power over all sea creatures, and Merman happens to be a sea creature. <laughs> it was rigged. <laughs> but uh, every single guest be his bitch dude I hate to tell you yeah every single time a guest comes on the show though Miguel feels like he has to bring it back up <laughs> I didn't bring well, it up last time I certainly didn't just post a picture of Merman to your Twitter feed but I did <laughs> oh, that man. is awesome <laughs> that's pretty great um, having made a joke about Merman though can we go off topic for two more seconds sure that and discuss if we're going to talk about ridiculous He-Man characters, let's talk about Skunkor or Stinkor. Excuse me. <laughs> that was the greatest action figure of all time. It smelled because bad. It smelled bad. <laughs> you have that one. I have that one. I have all the He-Man action figures. Yeah, I had it too, and I threw it out because it's. <laughs> what do they put in like a like a garlic essential oil? Like what? How do they do that? You know, I I can, know, I can tell you, it smells even worse after twenty years of sitting in my hot garage. <laughs> I want you guys to find out what made Stinkor smell bad because good God. And like, all right, so here I am on the internet as we talk and I have this, it appears to be, which I'll also post to your Twitter feed because that's what you need. Uh, <laughs> the the bubble pack illustration of Stinkor and he's like shooting some wavy stink lines at He-Man and it says Stinkor uses his powerful scent to repel or destroy. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And, like, He-Man looks mildly inconvenienced by it, but nothing more. He, he dropped his sword. I mean, that's something, at least. Okay, so you're obviously yeah. looking at it. It's just a little bit of a smell. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, as uh, let me bring it back to Undertow by saying that, as uh, as Bobby says in the Howie Mandel cartoon show, Bobby's World, underwater the fish don't stink. So, uh, I'm going to bring it back to the topic we were talking about and not skunk action figures. <laughs> <laughs> Although now I really want to find that song and also post it to your like the comical podcast Twitter feed is gonna have sort of like completely useless posts for me for the next twenty minutes. That sounds That's excellent. Not, um, but so you guys read the book, and as you saw, it has lasers and condors, so clearly uh, you, you know what we're about. Yeah, I'm excited for the second issue. I really am. It's a really good book. <laughs> Are they ever gonna? Uh, we have we had a couple questions about the book actually. Ask me real questions instead of talking about skunk things. <laughs> One of the questions I had was whether or not the explorers were ever going to encounter any more evolved humans. Well, it's funny you should ask that, because the question of human evolution is one uh, that we're certainly... The thing about humans is um, they are they have evolved in a different way, so I think the answer is yes, but maybe not like you'd expect. Uh, they have evolved in the way that many other apex predators would uh, but not into a higher intelligence type of situation. So you'll see a little bit more about their culture and things, that, things like that. And also, as the series progresses, potentially into other follow-up series as well, you'll see that they've not only evolved in, in a different direction, but they've become more specialized. So there are humans that live near the equator that are basically hairless and adapted for a very hot environment. There are, like, Arctic humans. Uh, they're like bears, but smaller and with nimble hands. And so that like, there's a different human for every climate because they are, in, in many matters of speaking, the apex predator of the surface. Right. But they've sort of taken a, a – instead of going up the ladder, they've sort of, like, hopped on to a variety of different ladders. 
as evolution goes. Um, and so they've gone in a different direction. But it's been kind of fun to sort of look at how their bodies would change and how their society would change and where they could go uh, if we knew they weren't going up and they were going sideways. How thoroughly do you get to explore that? Um, isn't Undertow scheduled to only be a six-issue miniseries? It is only a six-issue miniseries, and, our, and and as I said, it is about Atlanteans first. It's, it's for Atlanteans by Atlanteans, but in lieu of those people <laughs> reading it, it can be read by humans. So um, you'll see them, and we'll definitely see more of their society. I don't necessarily know that we'll be visiting like Arctic plains and things like that in this miniseries, but... Artyom and I have uh, planned some follow-ups if the if the desire is there, so uh, we could definitely see where they go a little more. But you'll see you'll see how their living systems work. You'll see how their religious systems work to an extent. We visit them because that you know they're they're sort of a trifecta of uh, relationships between uh, Atlantis and the amphibian, who sort of bridges the gap. And you know I don't think it's venturing into spoiler territory that you will eventually find out what his deal is because otherwise there would be no miniseries. So I'm happy to say that. Well, I got a question for you in regards to that miniseries. I mean, depending on how well the book does, is there any chances that you'll it'll become an ongoing book? Because we were reading a bunch of the books uh, that start off as a miniseries, but it got so many good reviews and people really loved it that now it's an ongoing story. You think we're going to get that many good reviews? That's I think so. The book was very good. I, I'm, I, I wouldn't lie to you. I'm being serious. It's really, really good, and I think it's going to attract a lot of people. No, I'm just. It's my job to be a ball buster. Uh, so <laughs> it's Miguel's job to get his balls busted. So what the hell? <laughs> How about that merman reference? Um, <laughs> exactly. No. So here's the answer. We would definitely love to return to it if the demand is there. Um, but also, producing the book has taken an undisclosed amount of time. And so it would not be fair to readers to go ongoing because our chief our chief goal is to make sure that the six issues come out on time and monthly for six months. And we have scheduled things as such that should almost, that should definitely happen. But we're not going to have a lot of lead time to keep going after that because Artyom, as you might have seen, does everything, and he he is stubborn to the point of artistic madness about that. You know, he he's a one man show from pencils to inks to colors except for the lettering, uh, he does it all himself. So it, it's not a book that is quick to produce, and I would rather, uh, having been on the other side of that, I would rather have a book come out on time in limited runs than have a book that is supposedly monthly but is actually like quarterly. That would be lame. So uh, we, we, we would rather not jump into uh, get into that territory. That makes a lot of sense, but they're definitely big enough that doing more miniseries could explore more aspects of the world. Yeah, and that way we can put a number one on each issue, uh, like the new Marvel initiative, and people would be very excited. <laughs> what the hell? He's trying to lead us into our next topic. <laughs> uh, no, but if I did, I actually am that smart and knew it was coming up. <laughs> no, I mean, like, yeah, but but that's really how I feel. Like, I, I always feel bad when when books are late. I knew when I was younger in comics, it just killed me when books were late. So we would rather have a reliable book coming out on time. And uh, in the meantime, people, in, uh, endeavoring endeavoring readers can check out our web webcomic. God help you, because it's in Russian, but I speak Russian, so that's how I found him. If you don't, then it has hundreds of pages of beautifully illustrated comics that you cannot understand. But it, it'll say to you uh, for a little while. It's called Mad Blade, by the way. Okay. But it is in Russian, so be warned. There's lots of monks and like angry people, so it's fantastic. But it is uh, a Russian language comic. Question for you: What is the overall message uh, you want your book to convey? That's such a that's such a pinky up question. Um, <laughs> he doesn't usually have those. <laughs> I helped him write that one. Whatever. <laughs> Um, me. Someone else recently asked me this. 
Really? Uh, um, well, here's the thing. The answer is actually very soulful, but because it's me and Artyom, like, it's going to be getting to the answer by way of a lot of punching and ridiculous action. So the answer is that the answer is actually that Undertow is a book that is about the idea about people's relationship with their homes. And that sounds really lame, but uh, that's what it's about because that's the emotional core. It's about Uknu and it's about Antragal and their relationship with Atlantis and sort of the idea of rebellion and how it means something different for each generation and how that doesn't always necessarily line up uh, between the generations, you know. So the whole thrust of the book will be about sort of them deciding what their anger means and if they really are friends or enemies and if they're really a student and teacher or not necessarily what they think. So if you want to know, like, what the hallmark moment of it is, that is certainly it. It's, and, and I think that's relatable because I everyone wrestles with that. Right. Uh, and everyone wrestles with like their own anger and their own issues, and sort of how they deal with them and, and what home means to them. But as a counterpoint, that's a little whiny and live journal, but it's us. So the way that we get to that is with enormous like Ray Harryhausen monsters and some Frank Herbert technology and like crazy barbarian action. So like there's certainly a soulful story. It's not just vapid headshots and things like that. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But there's going to be plenty of that in between as we as we talk about those things. And, I, and if you read the first issue, I think like there's little hints of that. Like, yeah, it, it definitely comes through. I mean, you definitely see it in the main character and his mentors' interactions. I'm not even trying to pronounce their names because <laughs> I don't think I can. <laughs> but uh, it definitely comes through in their interactions and then their discussions about their home city of Atlantis. Yeah, well, and also about the names. Cause that's something that many people have brought up uh, and... I will happily give you guys a little nugget for people who are listening and and love the series or are into the series and wonder where the names came from. Because one review was like, oh, well, and I am i can't even name where it was, so it's not like I'm taking pop shots. I just know what happened. Um, oh, well, these names are, will this invented language stand the test of time to things like Klingon and, and, and uh, Sindarin from Lotor? And the names in Undertow are not an invented language, so scurry off and find out where they are from, and maybe there will be some little character nuggets to be had and what their names mean, but that's, that, that's the news break for people who are reading the series. And, and actually, if you follow me on Twitter, some very smart guy figured out where they're from, but I'm not going to drop that right now. Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll look into that. Yes, we definitely uh, but will. It, but it is a real thing if you'd like to enrich your experience. Because I trust me, if I came up with the names myself, they would not have been quite as much of a mouthful. But I didn't, so... Joe doesn't just doesn't do it for <laughs> you, right? Joe! <laughs> I was going to name a character Arthur Curry and spell it really weirdly, but I thought that I might get some lawyers on the line. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although there is, there is a, I mean, there is a name or Aquaman character. That, I mean, the whole book is about hunting for Aquaman. I mean, Undertow is finding Aquaman. Uh, it just happens that, you know, He's crazy in this book. Um, not specifically Aquaman, but like uh, I couldn't do a book about Atlantis without you have to deal with that archetype of that one freak that can breathe air and can breathe yeah. uh, water. Or you're like missing an opportunity. So certainly I had to give my version of that. He's kind of Black Manta. <laughs> His head is not big as Black Manta. <laughs> <laughs> He's not wearing tights. Maybe in a subsequent miniseries he'll wear a helmet. <laughs> well, <laughs> That is a spoiler, my friend. You'll have to find out if he wears tights or not. <laughs> cool. Well, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about what you have planned for the future. Sure. Uh, well, uh, you know, there's there's always new things developing. Um, but I will say, you may have seen I had a successful Kickstarter last 
summer, fall, August, September time period uh, for my book Virgil, which is currently the next thing I'm working on and where we're going to put it out is an exciting new question I'm dealing with, but it's, it's in production for the Kickstarter funders right now and it's taking up a lot of my time, but in a good way because it's something I'm pretty passionate about. And it's and it's taking the black exploitation genre, it's taking the exploitation genre of social justice of the 70s and uh, it's bringing it into today. Uh, and so it's 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 a revenge story straight out of something like Shaft or Die Hard, but, it's with, but with a gay couple in Jamaica, which according <laughs> to the Human Rights Watch is the most homophobic place on the planet. So they're not doing great. <laughs> and, yeah, and uh, so I thought it'd be a nice way a to sort of show people what's going on there because many people said, "What Jamaica? Surely that cannot be." <laughs> Anthony Bourdain goes there and smokes pot. It's a wonderful place, and it, it, it's not. Uh, <laughs> so, but but you know, again, much like we're talking about real world things with Undertow, but with lasers, I thought it'd be fun to talk about real world things in Virgil but with a ton of really icky 70s, uh, you know, gory action, which I'm also really into. Awesome. Okay. We like we like gory action a lot, too. Yes. So we'll definitely have to pick that up when it comes out. It's funny. We I'm working at, like, the whole team we met thanks to the Nobody, like, this anthology I did that debuted at New York City Comic Con in the past, because I can't remember what year it was. And, uh, like, the whole team came together because we all did little short stories in this anthology. And now that I think about it, the story I did in that anthology was with the artists of Undertow. So <laughs> my life is all one incestuous comic career. So when does Virgil um, come out? Well, Vir- Virgil will hopefully be out. It's in production now. So I, I don't want to say when it's going to come out because there will be announcements and things like that. Okay. I have to see where it's going to land. But it certainly is. Uh, if it, there's tiny snippet updates if you follow me on Twitter and things like that. Uh, pretty regular. That's cool. Yeah, I saw something a few minutes ago. Um, well, a few minutes ago that was Merman, but yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> so what, where, where, I mean, you told us that the setting came easily once you uh, had figured out your characters and everything, but what made you want to tackle a gay black character? Well, uh, well, I mean, I'm half gay myself, uh, which, the, which the, the, the less jocular term for that is bisexual. But um, so it's, it's something that's close to my heart because I sort of have like a, I have like a pet peeve. I'm not one of those people that grew up wanting to be Jack from Will and Grace. So, and not there's anything wrong with that. that. That's a milestone character for the community. But the fact is, is that that's not every bisexual person. That's not every gay person. And so I wanted to do a book where the where the the gay or queer lead was not wasn't a sidekick or something, and also wasn't necessarily what you expect. I mean, this is a guy yeah. that yeah. takes ass. He also um, happens to be doing it to rescue uh, his man instead of his woman. And I always thought that was a powerful image. Like that's what made Midnight or an Apollo. I thought such a groundbreaking couple in especially when they were under the hand of a deft writer, because, you know, that was a superhero, that was like a widescreen superhero book first that had a well-formed gay couple in it, but it wasn't like a very special episode. It wasn't an issues type of book. Like, Midnighter kicked ass, people were afraid of him, he was cool, and also he was gay. And in many ways, the fact that it didn't make a big deal out of it was a bigger deal, which is kind of like a hard idea to get across, but that's the idea between behind Virgil. Like, so many books fetishize um, gay culture, and I don't... 
you always necessarily think that's progressive. It, yeah. it makes more of a statement that even the book thinks it's normal. You know, it it doesn't. It, it it's not like training the camera on that eye. It's treating it like it would a relationship in any other book, and the mundanity of it hopefully comes across as part of the idea behind it, because it's, it's, it's an action book first, um, and it doesn't think that it's any weirder uh, on the meta level uh, that it has gay characters than any other type of characters in it. That's really cool. Uh, we've been talking with most of our guests about diversity in comics, and uh, like Omar Spahi was our first interview. And he was talking about writing a black character and how it was so important to him to try to, to present not just the typical white, straight, you know, muscle-bound guy in comics, which you always see. And uh, it's been kind of a recurring theme on the show, talking to all these different writers that are doing something like this. So it's pretty cool, well, it's pretty cool that you're yeah. doing that. And that's why I also, like, wanted to set it in Jamaica, because, uh, you know, the struggles of, of a gay or queer black person... Are are totally different than the struggles of a of a gay or bisexual or what, or any type of LGBT white person because you have a whole other level and I and I'd like to give a face to that Absolutely. now of course I hope it comes out great like I I am not African American I'm not Jamaican and so my greatest fear is that I'm going to try to do this with good intentions and of course. Uh, it just it just blows up in my face, but I have that fear in anything. I mean, I'm pitching a new book, and I was talking about it on Twitter a little bit, like, and one of the lead characters, because the other thing is ageism, and like, yeah. it's a book set in the future where people live longer, and so one of the lead characters is like this gorgeous but elderly woman. I mean, she's based off Daphne Selfie, who's one of the oldest working models in the world, and she's like 84. And like, there's no reason that you can't have a character who's, who is like that, that like microchip ass, like tech savvy sidekick. There's no reason that can't be A, a woman, B, an older woman, and B, and C, completely elegant. And I, and, and I make, I love writing her, and it's very exciting. But as a counterpoint, I am um, not 80, not a, a woman, and not that elegant. So my fear is that it, I'm going to, not stick the landing somehow and then right. so you, you set off with good intentions but also there's that fear that like there's always uh, a chance you'll step on somebody's toes inadvertently yeah and when that's not your intention yeah well hopefully you, you know, didn't step on any Atlantean toes you know <laughs> well <laughs> they're webbed toes so they they have a greater surface area but yes no I, I'm not too worried about that but no it, it, it's interesting and, and certainly the characters in Undertow the big part of their world is that they're and they'll talk about it more you know they're they're trying to rebuild their culture and build their society with no set rules in place so they explore a lot of things like that as well that's not to say we're going to have like an Atlantean orgy or something but um say what? <laughs> they're uh, are not going to they're, but they're certainly exploring what you need to have a society and what you just think you need because it's always been and that was a really long ramble about things no but it was, was it was interesting it was <laughs> it was good to hear your take on that we got your back man we'll support you <laughs> hey I can listen I can talk at length about almost anything so so can we that's why we're podcasters why not <laughs> All right. Well, that's pretty much everything we wanted to talk about today. Um, you forgot what you're going to ask him. Oh yeah. Um, for our listeners, uh, we are going to be doing two episodes tonight. After this one, we're going to record another episode. We're going to read our comics, which will probably take a couple hours, and then we're going to record with our usual breakdown of what we liked and didn't like and all that kind of stuff. But we're also doing a Q and A. So we've been asking on Facebook and Twitter for people to give us questions that they want answered, and uh, we're going to go ahead and give uh, Steve here chance to ask us one question too and we'll make sure we answer it on the next episode someone asked me so you want a question about what anything you can ask us anything you want to know and we'll talk about it on the next episode a- anything i want to know anything you want to know <laughs> about comics
Sure. <laughs> or anything. How gay is Bo from She-Ra? <laughs> That's right. for you, right? That's for you, Justin. That's a, that's a tough one. <laughs> and I would like a simile as an answer, so I need he's as gay as. Nice. Wow. Huh. All right. Well, I mean, like, listen, I'll throw myself under the bus. I think I gay was, or excuse me, like Bo was a transformative, transformative experience for me when I was younger, so I'm totally on board with being gay. That mustache was screwing with me when I was like 10 years old, so. <laughs> but I recently rewatched the He-Man She-Ra Christmas special. Yes. I have that on DVD. <laughs> and I was like, wow. As, as, as a 28-year-old man, I'm like, wow, he has a heart for a symbol. <laughs> and has a bare midriff. What's happening? That movie's awesome, by the way. It is. Feel, like, feel free to invite me back to live blog that next Christmas, because yeah. I have a lot to say about it. We should definitely do that. Yeah. Skeletor <laughs> saves the children. Come on. <laughs> I, yeah. I, what is this feeling? I, I, don't, I don't want to be good. I want to be... Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you do a pretty good Skeletor voice. It must save the children. Oh, Lord Prime is going to be very angry with me. <laughs> that is awesome. Wow. Pretty good. That is redonkulous. <laughs> wow. Yep, that's, that's what I really do is voice Skeletor from the 80s. So there you go. We should do an, we should do an audio book reading of, of He-Man story. We've tried comical theater, right? But we have we have we have multiple people on it now. We could have him do Skeletor, and you can do Merman. Like, let me tell you, like clearly, here's another tangent. Get ready. It, it, talking about making like making characters surprise gay and things. If you watch the He-Man Two Hour Christmas Special and assume that like He-Man and Skeletor were previously in a relationship, it's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> like, and the dialogue has so much more meaning. Where like Hordak is like, "What about the way He-Man handles you?" That is awesome. I think I'm going to try to watch that this weekend with that it's, with it's that mindset. So <laughs> absurd! It's really good. That's funny. That is pretty funny. <laughs> I yeah. Uh, along with along with Long Kiss Goodnight and Die Hard, I watch that every holiday season. Which Die Hard? Didn't they only make one? <laughs> usually, I try to hunt down someone that has not seen it, which is getting harder and harder every year. But it usually happens. Uh, and few people have seen Long Kiss Goodnight, but that is also a treasure if you have not seen it. That name's, uh, who is that? Who's in that? I know that movie. Samuel L. Jackson it, movie, right? That is Samuel L. Jackson, Gina Davis. From, oh yes, from Iron Man three director Shane Black. I think my dad uh, was watching that movie not too long ago. <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah, my dad did see that movie not too long ago. It was on like, uh, oh yeah, he was watching that. And he does watch Die Hard a lot. He really does. That's one of his favorite all-time movies. What's not to like? I know, right? <laughs> Stuff blowing up. yippee ki yay motherfucker. As it should be. I got to use a Die Hard screen cap in the script to Undertow 6, and it was like one of the top five moments of my life. That's awesome. That's a that that's a potential spoiler, so watch out. So he's going to say yippee ki yay Edited version, Mr. Falcon. <laughs> I mean, he could now. I haven't scripted the issue yet, so watch out. Okay. <laughs> so, in all seriousness, you don't have to talk about Bo. I should probably ask you a comics question, I guess. But I do really like Bo. <laughs> I think that's a good question. <laughs> it's a hard question to answer. Who who wins He-Man and She-Ra versus Supergirl and Superman pillow fight? Pillow fight? Yes. Uh, Kryptonian pillow fight, so it's a pretty strong pillow. Huh. Well, I mean, it's if it's Kryptonian pillow fight, it's very one-sided, isn't it? 
Oh, I will nerd counterpoint you on that because clearly He-Man and She-Ra are magical and Superman vulnerable to magic. So, But if they're using their pillows instead of their swords, they don't really have any magic because all their power comes from their swords. Oh, but are they holding the swords? I don't know. Can they hold the sword and the pillow? This is getting really complicated. What sword are we talking about? Spike- <laughs> I might have to cite a Grant Morrison JLA issue in which Shazam punches out Superman just because. That was Crisis Times 5, by the way, mm-hmm. drawn by Howard Porter. It's a real thing. I believe in a straight-up fight, He-Man would beat Superman. Didn't He-Man just stab Superman? Yeah, he actually did in the DCU versus uh, Masters of the Universe book. The very first Ooh, issue. I did, I did not read that. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when you find out who the bad guy is, you're like, holy hell. Yeah, the bad guy is really, really surprising, actually. <laughs> Is it, is it Shredder? Like, what's the surprise? <laughs> it's Orko. <laughs> Orko's the bad guy. Oh, he's like, oh, man. He's like, they show him as, you know, from like the TV show Orko, and all of a sudden he's like this freaking He stole He stole creature. like the heart of Horde Prime, which made all of his magic actually work, and it went to his head oh, and he became super no, evil. That's amazing. He stole it towards his bitch. It yeah. would have been really good if they taught, if he like took a Sharpie and put a slash on the O in his shirt and took his mask off and he was John Delancey. Was actually- <laughs> that's awesome. I would have just dropped the mic after that. Like I think I should end the podcast with that story idea. <laughs> All right, Steve. Well, we want to say thank you for coming on the show. We really enjoyed having you on and hopefully we'll get to do it again. The, uh, Live at, live tweeting, live blogging the uh, He-Man she Christmas special. Sounds like a pretty <laughs> fun idea. <laughs> well, can I ask him this one thing? What? Yes. Really? You let me ask everybody else this question. Yeah, stop censoring me. <laughs> <laughs> it's your show, too. You just have to speak up, huh? <laughs> <laughs> this year at Comapalooza in Houston, um, I never remember the dates. I'm horrible with these dates. You know these dates. May 23rd through May 26th, we're going to be at Comapalooza uh, doing a live show and interviewing various creators and guests, just so our listeners know that. <laughs> Just know, I was just curious if there's any chance you could be in Houston around that time. I have no idea. I'll be quite honest with you. But uh, I would like to be, so so feel free to definitely follow up with me. But honestly, I have no idea. I, I'm going to be at Emerald City Comic Con at the end of the month, and I'm putting all my energy into making that uh, an explosive and exciting show filled with uh, comics, fantasies, and wonder. So after that, I can think about other shows. But right now, I, I, I do not know. I'm definitely I, The only shows I know I'm doing are Emerald City and New York City. Uh, because I can basically walk to New York, so that's pretty easy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if I leave now. So, um, but, I, but I would love to go. And then I could finally say I've been to Texas for more than like a couple minutes on a layover. So, it, I, you know, I, I would love to be there. But shoot me an email. Okay. We'll definitely do that. Yeah. Well, anyway, Steve, thank you for coming on. We really appreciate it. And hopefully we'll get to interview again at some point in the future. Yes. I really, I, A, thank you for having me on. B, thank you for putting up with my, like, my actual superpower, as you can see, is free association. So um, <laughs> I'm pretty happy about that. But thank you, guys. And don't forget to listen to our next episode so you can hear our answers to your questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll try to come up with something good for the bow question. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> All right, well, till next time, which should be in about 10 minutes. (laughs) Keep on laughing, bitches.